All right, we ready? Ready to get into God's word together, church? Yes, good, 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 good. Turn in your copy of God's word to Mark 14. Mark 14, verse 27 is where we'll pick up where we left off last week and we will continue in our In My Place series through the final chapters of Mark and I would encourage you to continue to follow along in these things as we've already mentioned, following along in the Bible reading plan, following along as we uh, uh, just really prepare ourselves for uh, what the Easter season uh, reminds us of. And you know, today as we get into the scripture here, as is always the case, uh, it's a timely one. It's a timely passage of scripture. There's much for us to learn and apply. There's much here to let shape our thinking and feeling. Uh, Because uh, I bet on many uh, people's minds, not just here, but across the globe is one thing. What's on our minds today, church? Jesus, Jesus, amen. Um, I hope that's the case here, but I'm, I'm assuming that the majority of people across the globe, one thing is on their mind, the coronavirus. The coronavirus, right? And while its physical impact has affected a, you know, a small percentage of the world's population, the fear of it has become far more contagious. Fear of it has become far more contagious. And illnesses like these are not new. I keep hearing that this is, you know, uncharted waters, that these are unprecedented times, and I don't think so. I don't think that this is unprecedented in the world, though it may be new ground for us. But uh, really, as you just think back historically, Do you think in our own day, things like the Zika virus, SARS, the blue bird flu, and others have threatened, have risen up, and uh, gone away or been contained? Measles, mumps, rubella, polio, tuberculosis, those things, they've worked their way through previous generations and really still do in other uh, underdeveloped regions of the world. And in every case, the scripture has guided God's people and how to respond in faith. You know, when the Spanish flu uh, went through the East Coast in the early 1900s, and when the bubonic plague ravaged Europe for hundreds of years, in the 1400s, 1500s, and even into the 1600s, the church stood upon the rock. They looked to the Lord, and they loved their neighbors. See, tragedy was at their doorstep, and they had to respond. Tragedy was there, and they needed to Look to the Lord in faith. As we come to our passage today, really we see the greatest tragedy in history that happened some 2,000 years ago. When the only innocent man to ever walk the face of the earth died a brutal death. As the hymn says, to be of sin a double cure, saved from wrath and to make us pure. Christ's death was the cure for the most wickedly contagious disease of sin. A sin that brought about death, that brought death into this world. And so what did Jesus do the night before his tragedy? Where was he, what was he doing? That's what I'd like to focus our attention on this morning. You know, John uh, 18 verse four says, Jesus knew all that was going to happen, all that was about to happen in the midst of these events. And so how did he face it? You have any idea? Well, let's look to the scripture. Open up your Bibles if you haven't already. Join me in Mark 14. We'll pick it up in verse 27, and I want to read it here for us. It says this, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go out before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. 
And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for, me, for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is God's word for God's people. You know, the context of the passage we've just read is that uh, Jesus and his disciples, 11 of them anyways, have left the upper room uh, where they just participated in the Passover and Jesus has transformed it where he took the ancient tradition of celebrating what happened at the uh, Israelites' exodus from Egypt, and and he just said, no, I am the Passover lamb. There at the upper room, he called out Judas for his betrayal, and so Judas has already left, and now Jesus is leaving Jerusalem. He's crossed the Kidron Valley, and he uh, has stopped near the base of the Mount of Olives in a garden called Gethsemane which literally means oil press. You can go visit it uh, even today. It's actually very fascinating uh, to visit. And so here in this passage, what did Jesus do and what can we learn from him on the night he faced tragedy? Well, here's what we can say. When faced with tragedy, here's our first point. When faced with tragedy, view it through scripture. When faced with tragedy, view it through scripture. Look at verse 27 with me. They're uh, walking, they're walking away here. Jesus is, uh, they're, they're heading to the Mount of Olives. They're coming to Gethsemane and Jesus gets real with them, doesn't he? Like we've, we saw this even just last week, right? Like the dinner conversation and he just brings up, somebody's gonna betray me. And now as he's walking, he knows what's going to happen and, and, and he just gets very real with them. This isn't a time for trite sayings. This isn't a time for, for cliche sayings. This isn't a time for just joking around and being jovial. No, he shoots them straight. He says what? Look at it. He says, you will all fall away. Well, Jesus, I know you're going away, but uh, we're going to fall away? He's not referring necessarily to their salvation as if they were, would lose faith, as, they would, as if they would not follow the Lord anymore, but that they would be afraid and abandon him. 
they would fall away in fear. And so this is why he quotes, he takes them to the scripture and he goes to Zechariah 13 verse seven. You can write that down in your notes to go read it uh, later, but he's, re- he's referencing this, uh, this passage. And he's gone to Zechariah, we've seen uh, multiple times back in chapter 13 and other places as he is referring to this Old Testament prophet book. But what he's saying here is that God the Father will strike the shepherd, the shepherd who is Jesus, and his sheep will be scattered. They will flee in fear because the leader, their protector, the shepherd, is gone. And Jesus will be struck this death blow by cru- as he is crushed by the weight of our sin. The shepherd will be struck down and the sheep will flee. But that's not the end of the story, right? Jesus tells them, he gives them the scripture to show them what is about to happen, but then he gives them this hope. Look at verse 28, right? It's not the end of the story because he tells them, well, after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus has already told them multiple times, three to be in fact that Mark records for us of what is going to happen, that he would be betrayed, he would be killed, and then he would rise again. And so now here at the end, he's giving them instructions. He's now they know where to look for him. Here as he has been just kind of progressively revealing more details about what is to come. He's saying, I will be raised up. Don't forget that, even though you will scatter. But here is where you will find me again. Here is where we will regather in Galilee. You know, in the scripture here, as Jesus takes us, the scripture is like, they're like glasses for viewing life. They help give us perspective. They help us see things clearly. They help us uh, to uh, make out shapes and things in our life, right? Like all those with glasses in the house say amen, right? Because without them, like y'all are just kind of like a blob of colors and things, you know, against the backdrop of some black. I'm blind. Without these things, you know, you know, I wouldn't, I, I can't hardly tell. I mean, I know where some of you sit, so I can say, oh yeah, I'm making sure right there, you know. Some of you are in your spots. But if you've moved today, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know who you are and it's just be confusing. Such as life without the scriptures. It's just kind of jumbled together. It's a mass of shapes and colors that are blurry and indistinct. But when we look at things through the lens of scripture, things become sharp, clear, We can see what is happening. We see what is going on. We see that uh, God is still in control. We see that these things are all uh, happening at the sovereign, loving hand of the Lord. We know what to do when we have glasses in the face of, uh, you know, not knowing where to go. The scriptures act like our glasses. To Jesus knew the power of the word. And he took some, takes him there here as he's about to be betrayed. He takes him there as a tragedy is about to c- come upon them. He takes them to the word of God to give them some solid food, some food of substance to set their feet on solid ground, to give them lots of perspective. This is about what is about to happen. See, church, with, faced with our own potential tragedy, when faced with uh, things like death, sickness, family issues, Whatever it might be, view it through scripture. Come to the word of God and let the word of God be the lens in which you view your circumstances, not the other way around. See, we don't, we don't take our circumstances, we don't take what is being portrayed in media and then read upon the scripture what is happening. No, we let the scripture be our lens. See, Hallmark cards and memes, newspaper 
opinions, Facebook manifestos, Dr. Phil and Dr. Fool, all those things come and go. But it is the word of God, church. It is the word of God that lasts forever. It is the word of God that stands above time. When you go to the word of God, you will find it as Psalm 19 describes it. You will find revival of soul. You will find wisdom. You will find joy for your heart. You will find enlightenment for your eyes. You will find endurance. You will find truth and righteousness. Exactly what we need for days and hours like today. You know, the strength of scripture here, it stands really in contrast to our own human weakness. Stands in contrast to our own limitations. And so here's our second point. When you're faced with tragedy, not only view it through scripture, but embrace your limitations. Embrace your limitations. See, Jesus puts before them the scripture. He gives them these instructions. And look at verse 29. Peter makes quite the boast here, doesn't he? Nah, Jesus, not me. Right? I know what you're saying, Lord. I, I, I hear you, but no, 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 no. I won't leave you. And this isn't the first time that his, their, his disciples have boasted of their ability, right? Remember back in, in, uh, in Mark 10? You know, they thought they, were, uh, they thought they were capable of more. James and John, they, you know, they wanted the place of honor and they didn't understand what they were asking nor what, they were, uh, what, what was required of them to, re- to receive this place of honor. And Jesus says, you think you can handle the baptism? You think you can go through what I will go through? Oh yeah, sure, they thought but they don't fully understand the responsibility. They don't fully understand what they're asking. And Jesus here is so gracious. He's so gracious then, he's so gracious here to shepherd them along in their bold intentions and their ambitions. But what they don't realize is that the, the way to greater impact and influence is through suffering. That the way up is down. That steel is hardened and purified by fire. I don't understand and so in here in verse 30, when Jesus flat out, he warns Peter what will happen. Peter, you know, he makes this boast and Jesus is like, no, no, let me just tell you what's gonna happen. And if there is ever a, 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 an example in scripture where the sovereignty of God and human responsibility was on display, it's right here in verse 30. Jesus is telling, hey, I'm just gonna tell, by the end of the night, I hear your boasts, I hear your ambitions, I hear your intentions, but before the, you know, the rooster crows twice the following morning, you're gonna deny me three times. Let me just prepare you for that. And Peter humbly responds and says, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me uh, in advance, right? Look at verse 31. What, is, what happens there? You're following along with me, right? You're following along with me. What does he say in verse 31? He says emphatically, insistently, right? Claiming he, he would not be guilty of the lowest treason, right? He would commit the highest act of love. I would not deny you, Jesus. No, if I have to die with you, I would die for you, Christ, before I deny you. How valiant, right? How valiant. And you can hear, they all said the same. You can hear the, the other 10 echoing their scent, the aye, aye, amens, right? Amen, we won't, we won't leave you, Jesus. We're here with you. We will walk, whatever comes, we will go with you. You and I have been probably guilty of making similar boasts for the Lord. You and I have probably uh, made the similar uh, claims, believing our capacity is greater than it really is. But do you know what tragedy really teaches us? You know what tragedy teaches us? That we are weaker than we realize, but God's grace is stronger than we ever imagined. 
When you come face to face with tragedy and trial, you realize that we are being strengthened. It is not our strength that is on display. As the scripture describes it, it is, it is passive. We are being infused with strength. And I really love, that just, this is a prayer that always stands out to me, that Paul prays for, uh, for the Colossians in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And he says, you know, since the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But he goes on and he says, he says may you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So that is, a, that is a passive thing. He is praying for them that God would give them the strength to endure, that God would give them the strength to face whatever is before them, that God would give them not just the strength, but the wisdom and the understanding to know what God is doing and how to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that is the hour that is before us, church. I remember uh, back in t- 2010 when uh, our daughter Gwendolyn died. Many of you know that story. And in and, uh, and the days and weeks and things after that, um, I remember being told often, like, Blair, you're, you're so strong. You and Aaron, like, you, you're so strong to walk this road of your child dying. And I, and I remember being confused, like, because knowing my own doubts, my own weakness, my own tears, my own inability to just face the day. I remember thinking, strong, that's what, like, you're, <laughs> you see me as being strong right now? Uh, any strength that is on display in my life is a foreign strength. It's an alien strength. It is an imputed strength from somewhere else. This is the strength of the Lord. So Peter is failing to grasp this. He was boasting in his own intentions, his own ambitions. I would never do this. But when faced with tragedy, the best thing that we can do is to respond by understanding I am a limited, weak, feeble person. Redemption, when faced with tragedy, make not the tragic mistake of thinking you can do it on your own. Rather, embrace your limitations and cast yourself upon Christ. Know that I cannot do this apart from Christ, that all that we do, just like the song said, is by grace and grace alone. From your salvation, through your sanctification, every step that you take, you will make it by grace. And so how is it that we cast ourselves on the Lord? How is it, what is the way, where do we find our strength? Well, what does Jesus do next? What does he do in verse 32? See, when faced with tragedy, Jesus gets low in prayer. He gets low in prayer. Do you see this? Do you see what he's doing? He's praying, yes. You know, we could, uh, from a human standpoint, we can look at this night, not just the events here, but, uh, you know, the, in the previous passage and the next passage to come, we could, we could I think, pretty confidently say that, that this night was the worst night in the history of friendship ever. Jesus is being betrayed by those that he uh, loves, that he's walked with. His friends are boasting about, uh, about things and they, they can't even stay awake when he needs them the most. When his human weakness is on display, they are sleeping. 
And so we could just kind of sum up, this whole passage is about the weakness of human effort and devotion, that even the best of intentions still fail, versus the strength of God's will, and that God's intentions always succeed. In the midst of it all then, in the midst of it all, Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying, and so we, let's just ask one, like why, why is Jesus praying, right? Like, you ever thought about this? Like, why, why is Jesus praying? And, you know, the other, we've seen him praying on two other occasions in the book of Mark, and so why? You know, he's like, you're, you're God, you know. Like, don't you already have, like, that whole, like, connection thing going with the Father, the Spirit? Why is he praying? Well, I would say, one sense, is a model for us. Model for us to show his humanity that it would gird up his disciples for what they would face after he's gone. To set an example for them as they would, as we read in the book of Acts, as they would face imprisonment, as they would face uh, persecution, as they would face uh, tyranny that you see all throughout the book of Acts that they're following Jesus' example. And it seems like every chapter in Acts is just like, oh, and guess what the apostles are doing? Guess what the church is doing? They're prayed. They were devoted to the prayers, it says. And so is that what Jesus is doing? Is he being a model for us? I think so. I think so. And so what is it that Jesus teaches us about prayer? Well, here you go. Here's six things from this passage, six things that Jesus teaches us about prayer. Number one here in verse 32 is that it's a group effort. It's a group effort. See, prayer is not something that we just uh, only, simply, merely do on our own. They go to this oil press, they go to the garden at Gethsemane, and he says to his disciples, he brings them, and he says, sit here while I pray. And then he takes with him uh, the three, Peter, James, and John. And so he invites many to participate. Many are invited, but there are few that he is intimate with. There are a few that he would bring near, those that would be leaders, that the church would begin. He brings them in, and they see his emotions. See, prayer is powerful in the context of community. We're not meant to go it alone. This is why we gather in small groups. This is why we have people close to us. This is why we gather people in because when we're faced with tragedy, when there's something on our minds is we invite people to come alongside and to bring it before the Lord with us. To bring it before the Lord with us. It's powerful in the context of community. See, prayer is a group effort and it is also here, number two, it's spiritual emotion. It's spiritual emotion. Look at, look at the words here in verses 33 and 34. You see it? He is what? He's greatly distressed. He's troubled. And he, he voices it. He puts it to words. He says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. This is deep emotions. And there are deep emotions that lead him closer to the Father, not farther away. See, emotions aren't wrong. Emotions aren't, aren't bad unless we allow them to control us, unless we allow them to take us away from the Lord, but when they press us in, it is spiritual emotion. We should show the heights and depths of the things that we feel. We can bring it to the Lord. See, prayer is not this, this like the stoic, pious, you know, sleepy monologue, you know, where we have to use like King James language and, you know, rhyme things and make it sound really great, is it, church? Prayer is often raw. It's real. Here's the truth. You can let loose before the Lord. He's big enough to handle the emotions of your heart. He's big enough to handle the things that you are feeling as you let it loose before God. 
If anything, Jesus is showing us here that he, and even his humanity, had emotion. He didn't just walk around, you know, with a smile on his face and just very, you know, uh, regal and uh, unaffected and unfeeling. See, prayer is a group effort. It's spiritual emotion. And look where else he goes. It's a physical exercise. It's a physical exercise. See, the emotion here, he, 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 he it leads him. He actually goes, it says in verse 35, he goes a little farther. I like Luke's version of this. It says he goes a stone's throw away. Isn't that kind of cool? Actually, when I was, just as a side note, when I was at the Garden of Gethsemane and there, I kind of, I didn't pick up a rock. I probably got in trouble for that, but I was like, you know, here's the entrance, and I was like, okay, I could throw a rock about that far. Oh, Jesus probably somewhere over there. But he went a little farther, and what does it say that he does? Don't miss this. What does it say? He fell on the ground. He fell on the ground. See, he, he, he was so engaged in prayer. The, the, the prayer really is a whole body exercise. Now, it's not just a show. We're not just, you know, it's not, we're not just out here to look spiritual, like, well, that guy raises his hands, that guy moves around while he kneels, he does this. No, no, no. It's demonstrative because our heart, soul, mind, and strength are engaged with the truth of who God is and we know that he is in his, and we know that he is in, we are in his presence and sometimes things like tragedy, they just drop us to our face. They drop us to our face because we get low in prayer and we understand our weakness and we understand that we are at the mercy of God. That sometimes we just, like, you can't get before the Lord in any other way. And so when you view prayer, don't, don't view it as just, you know, like a kind of a you know, head bow. There's a time for being, you know, serious and stoic. Don't, don't hear me, you know, just saying that is inappropriate at any time. But make no mistake that prayer is a physical exercise as we engage our mind and our heart and come before the Lord, not just in times of tragedy, but in times of praise and expression before God. It's a physical exercise. Fourth, it is humble responsiveness. Look at the end of verse 35 and verse 36. It's the content here of, 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 of Jesus' prayer. He's praying that if it's possible, the hour, the, 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 the task before him, the responsibility before him might pass. And then in verse 36, really, it's the, only the content we have. It's short, but it's powerful. Abba, Father, all things are possible. Remove this cup. Yet not I will, but your will. So he shows a submissiveness to the Father's will. So he's coming before the Lord to align his thoughts and feelings to God's purposes. See, this is how he presses in because of the deep feelings that he's having. It is a humble responsiveness to the will and the plan and the purposes of God. And that's why we come to pray. We come to pray not just to inform God of some news that he was unaware of. We come to God in prayer in humble responsiveness saying, I'm feeling this way. I don't understand these things, God. I don't understand why this is happening in the world, but I know that you do. And here Christ fully knew what was about to come upon him. He felt the weight of it. felt the depth of it. He comes before the Lord to, with his human heart, to say, Lord, all things are possible. 
if there's another way. I know you are infinitely wise. You are sovereign over all things. You are uh, pretty great at turning bad situations for your glory and our good. If there's any other way, remove this cup, but not what I want, what you want, God. See, it's something we learn about prayer. It's humble responsiveness as we come before the Lord. But even as Jesus shows here and as the disciples experienced, it was, it's also a battlefield experience. It's a battlefield experience. He's, did you catch that here? He's like going back and forth and it's, it kind of like becomes a game, right? Jesus is in anguish. He's praying and he tells his disciples to stay there, Peter, James, and John. And he comes back to them after an hour. Did you see that? He's been praying for an hour. And what are they doing? They are sleeping. They're sleeping. He told them to stay awake, to be alert, to watch. Those same words that we saw in chapter 13, how we are to be on guard, to be alert, to be watchful for the coming of the Lord. He tells them it's the same here. And they're sleeping again and again, right? He goes away a second time, comes back. Yep, they're sleeping. And then a third time, it says. You see that? Christ is so gracious. He understands the weakness. He understands that this is a battle. You ever been in that when you're praying? You want to pray, right? What does he say here? Your spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. We get distracted, don't we? We doubt. We get tired, you know? How many like that? You just say, oh, I'm gonna pray at night. I'm guilty of this. My Aaron and I pray every, uh, we pray every night together. I pray on the uh, odd days. She prays on the even days. And that's just how we, how we know. We've had been doing that for years. And I'll, I'll just admit, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I, when, when I lay in bed, man, my head hits the pillow. 30 seconds later, <laughs> gone. And some of you, you know, you lay there for a while and do all that. Uh, unless something is on my mind or whatever, I lay down. When I finally, you know, find time to go to sleep, I crash out. But that doesn't always work so great when you're praying. Because there's been more than one prayer that uh, hasn't gotten to, in Jesus' name, amen. Let me just say that because I fall asleep. And, and I'll get Aaron, Aaron, wake me. Hey, Blair, Blair, Blair. Like, yes, yes. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's a battlefield experience. See, prayer is, it is when we are praying, it is not just, you know, a, a, a fleshly thing, but there's a spiritual thing happening in our own hearts as our enemy knows also the power of prayer. See, there's, there's a battle also kind of going on in this uh, section here as Jesus is praying that you can be sure that Jesus is being tempted, that the uh, disciples are being uh, uh, tempted. He understands. And so what, is, what does he mean here? He said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. What type of temptation is he talking about? Temptation to quit, to give up, to say, you know what, this isn't worth it. Tempted to, uh, to fear, to worry, to be anxious. Tempted to be lazy, to just take advantage of grace. See, the battle for us is any one of these things. When we're faced with our own things in a day like today, when faced with this you know, worldwide pandemic, we can be tempted to fear, to worry, to be anxious. When faced with our own sin and our own weakness, we can be lazy and be like, well, you know what, I don't need to really put in any effort. I got, I'm, I'm already forgiven. We can be tempted to trample upon the grace of God. We can be tempted to just say, you know what, this whole fallen Christ thing isn't worth it. Pray 
that you would not be tempted in that way. Prayer is a battlefield experience. And if days like today teach us anything, it is teaching us and training us how to live in that battle. And thus, here's the last point, the sixth point. Thus, prayer it requires endurance. It requires endurance. Not only physical endurance to keep going. So we're like, yeah, it does. If I'm going to pray an hour, like that's, that's a long time. You're going to get to in your small groups this week. It's not only, I'm not only speaking of physical endurance, but I'm also talking about persistence in our prayers. To be repetitious in our requests before the Lord. Look at verse 39 here. I like this. After he goes, it says, Jesus went away and he prayed and he came up with a whole other thing to say to the Lord. Now, what does it say? Look at verse 39. And he's saying the what? The same words. See, Jesus goes back and he says the same thing. Why? Because he didn't know what else to say. Because he's like, well, I used up my match words. I'm a man. I've, you know, I'm just like, no, why? Is, it, is he praying because God forgot what he said the previous hour? He's coming back and like, God, I know like I was just here and you've done some other things while I've been gone. Is he coming to remind the Lord of what, what, he, was, what, he, what, what he just said? No, he's not doing that. It's for the sake of his own heart. See, we come back to the Lord rep- repetitious. We come back enduring in prayer. We come back persistent in bringing our requests to the Lord for our own heart's sake. See, we need a consistent alignment. We need consistently to come before the Lord. It's not to pester him, but it's like Jesus would not quit until his heart got there. He would not quit coming before the Lord, praying the same thing until his heart was aligned with the plans and purposes of God. And church, this is why we endure, why we persevere in prayer, why we say the same things over and over again. Some of you have prayed for children, parents, coworkers, friends for years saying the same thing. I've got people on my prayer list praying the same things. Many of it is just, God, would you save his soul? God, would you come through? And there's some people that I I can't even count how many times I've said that. You think because God's forgotten about it? No, it's because of the line in my heart. I'm gonna storm the gates of heaven until there's no breath in my lungs and until that situation, until they're not on the face of the earth or something happens, I'm gonna keep enduring, persisting, saying the same things to the Lord. Church, don't quit in prayer. Don't quit. Don't quit. If, if today, days like today are teaching us anything, don't quit in your prayers. Endure, persist. Say, even if you have to say the same things over and over, because it requires endurance. So Jesus teaches us some things. How does he pray? Well, there are six things that are very helpful, I think, for us. But I want to come back, and I want to ask the question again, why is Jesus praying? Is it just merely to be a model for us? Is it merely just to be an example for the disciples and us? Let me just say this, absolutely not. It's not, he, that's not the reason why Jesus lives. It's just to merely be a model for us. But let me ask it this way. What is troubling Jesus so grievously? What, it, what it would cause the Son of God so much sorrow? Is it just the betrayal of his friends? Is it the, the Peter's uh, obtuseness of not understanding the situation? Is it his weakness? Is it the betrayal of his friends? Why is Jesus praying? What is causing him so much sorrow? Just the burden of the cup. It's the burden of the cup. Look again at the content of his prayer in verse 36. 
What does, he, what does he say to the Lord? You know, he acknowledges the tenderness of Abba. He acknowledges the omnipotence of the Father, his power, right? Even in just those two titles here, he is coming before the Lord, acknowledging his love and his power that belong to God. And then he asks for this change. He asks for help. His, his humanity can't bear the weight, the burden alone. He's literally, will be crushed. He, he's being crushed to the ground, and so what was in the cup? As he submits himself to the, pl- the purposes and plans of God, what is in the cup? The cup being a metaphor for his lot, for what, uh, the circumstances in his life that God has given him. That's the weight of our sin. Yours, mine. Everyone who would believe. All the ugliness and filth that came with it was in the cup and it came with the punishment that each of those deserved. It's the burden of the cup. See, we can't forget here, let's, let's not forget that our king was divine, yes, but he was also human. He, he was facing the same temptations to fear and to doubt and, 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 and to quit. And in his humanity, he gets low in prayer. He understands that God is both good and sovereign, and sometimes his sovereign plan is a bitter cup, is a burdensome cup. The afflictions of God are, are, are not always easy. And so how does he deal? He gets low in prayer. In his weak humanity, he gets low with prayer. When he was faced with the certainty of his death and the abandonment of friends and the wrath of the Father, what does he do? He prays. He prays. And if prayer was the source of courage, the place he found strength, the space to get his heart and his mind right before the Lord, then where, church, where should we turn in days like today? To prayer. To prayer, where, where should we go when we are faced with our own trials and our own difficulties? Where should we turn to, you know, as our first reaction? We should turn to prayer. We should turn to prayer. And I'd like us to do that even now. I know as we've, you know, in light of all the things that are happening and light of the world and coronavirus and the fear and all that stuff, you know, of just what is happening. Uh, in, in my own life, I've actually turned probably to frustration more than to prayer. You know, this morning, I'm, I'm, out, of, I'm out of hair product. I needed some. I got a haircut and I needed some. And I thought last night, I'll just zip into H-E-B this morning. Yeah, right. You know, pull in the parking lot, me and half of HEBs there, you know, and security people and just, I mean, there's probably 250 people out in front of the, of the store at 10 minutes to 8. They're all raring, raring to go and buy whatever. It's like, well, I'll have to just deal with messy hair today, I guess, for the time being. And I've responded in frustration and not near enough in prayer not near enough in prayer. And so I'd like to, I'd like to change that this morning. I'd like us to, uh, to, to spend some time uh, praying before the Lord. And what I, what I want us to do is I'm just, uh, if, you're, if you're able, if, if you're not able, if there's not enough space, don't worry about it. I know the floor is not necessarily super comfortable, but can we just get on our knees before the Lord, church? We get on our knees. And if, if you can't, don't, don't feel bad. Don't, if you're a guest with us and it's weird, don't, don't, you don't have to, but can we just get on our knees before the Lord? I'm gonna give us a few prompts. The worship team's gonna come up, and, um, but as I give some prompts, you can just add your voice uh, to the prayers. 
you can just add your voice after I give some prompts and then I'll, I'll close us out and then we'll stand and sing. How about that? That sound good? All right, let's pray together. God in heaven, here we are. We're your people humbled before you. We're your people that don't necessarily know what to do all the time, but our eyes are on you. And so, uh, God, just as a church, we want to respond as our Lord responded to tragedy. We want to respond in, in prayer. We've put the scripture before us, God. We've, we, we understand our, our weaknesses, and so we just want to put before you now these requests. So hear our prayers, God. Hear our requests. Here's our, hear our pleas for mercy now as your people pray. God, we come now just asking forgiveness. Forgiveness for our sin, forgiveness for the things we regret, forgiveness for the, you know, our poor responses. But we look to you now, God, for salvation. We look to you for help. And so, God, with, uh, with one voice, we say, Jesus, help. Would you, uh, would you rescue us? God, I'm under uh, no uh, uh, pretenses that everyone in here may have the hope of Christ. But maybe there's some who are sitting here now understand their sinfulness, understand what Christ did and who you by your spirit is calling them to yourself. Draw them near, Lord. Draw them near that they might be yours. And so, God, now we're, we, we just, uh, we, there are many involved in this, you know, this coronavirus, God. There's uh, governing uh, bodies. There's medical professionals. God, there are many who are being tasked with uh, uh, managing, maintaining, uh, learning about uh, uh, all that is wrapped up in this. Learning and wanting to lead well and, and uh, help our people. God, so we just pray now f- for them. Would you give both wisdom and compassion to those who lead us in those ways? Father, we're humbled before you. We're grateful before you. We recount your wonderful deeds, the things that you've done all uh, throughout our uh, human history. And God, just as we look back, we recount your deeds we see a perfect record of past faithfulness. So we have no reason to lose hope that tomorrow or next week or next year would be any different. Our hope is in you, Christ. Our hope is in you. We pray these things now in Christ's name and God's people collectively said, amen. 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 Thanks for joining me in that way.